Uh, every Sunday, what we've been doing, or hopefully trying to do, is ask ourselves questions. Uh, what does it mean to follow God in our modern age? What does it mean to follow God in the year 2023? Uh, hopefully with uh, integrity, love, and truth. And uh, it's not as, I mean, I think you know, anyone who's had uh, or tried to have an honest faith or an honest spirituality, and this is across traditions, not, not just Christianity, um, it's, it's, it's complicated, right? Often, um, in terms of the Christian faith, we're engaging with uh, eight ancient writings, ancient documents, and we're trying to see how they speak to us. Because as Christians, uh, we affirm that uh, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, aren't just a historical relic of a bygone age, but in some unique way that can be said of no other book in this world, it's the living Word of God, which means that every time you approach it, it's going to be giving you something relevant, something um, accessible and important for your life, and most important, something that's true. So that's why every Sunday we spend time not only reading the uh, portions of the Bible, but then trying to find how do they apply to us. And the same is today. Now, as we've been tracking, because uh, we've essentially been going for the Gospel of Matthew, we've been uh, exploring the life of Jesus. And in the past uh, three Sundays at least, we were, kind of, we were getting to the almost the climax of Jesus' work on earth. He was around 2,000 years ago in the Roman province of Palestine. He, uh, Jesus was a doer of wonderful deeds. He was a prophet. He was a sage. He was a teacher. But most uniquely, he claimed to be God come to command. So Jesus, in his time on earth, right, he was preaching and teaching for about three years. He was speaking to people, not just as a teacher, not just as another prophet, some desert sage. He was speaking to them as God. And what he was saying, whenever he encountered people, he was bringing them love. He was often bringing them healing. But often he's also confronting them with a new kind of healing that they weren't looking for, they weren't ready for. A healing of the soul, a healing of the mind, a healing of the heart. Which often was actually very wildly uncomfortable. And it was, no, it was mostly uncomfortable with the people who really thought that they had figured it out. The people who were in tune with the spirit of the age, the people who were educated, the people who were uh, in the halls of power and education. In the Bible, they're called Pharisees, they're the religious elite. But they weren't just a religious elite, they were the social elite, right? They were the people who went to MIT, who had the right friendships, with the right careers. Whenever they encountered Jesus, they felt wildly uncomfortable because he was saying something to them that would upend the ordering of their lives. How they saw things. And so what we've been going through in the past few Sundays is Jesus, in a sense, uh, debating, fencing with these religious leaders. And they've been challenging and prodding him. On what basis do you claim the authority that you claim for yourself? You know, upending ancient teaching or, or somehow speaking or acting as if you're God. Come to us. And so Jesus is answering them. And he's also teaching his friends, his disciples, what it means to follow Jesus, to follow God with integrity and truth. And so the portion that we read today is a story he gives of the ten virgins. And I think no matter how you approach it, it's a hard story to hear. You, you see, you, it sounds like you're hearing, at the end, it kind of ends with a kind of exclusion, right? There's some people who are in, some people who are out. And I think, especially I mean, for anyone, but I think especially for modern Western people, that's just a hard thing to sort of pull. What do you mean exclusion? 
right? That's a, that would go contrary to maybe some of the main values we hold with people, inclusivity, generosity of spirit coming in. What is Jesus all about? Um, to answer that, I guess, I'm actually kind of glad that the, the folks who arrange our Bible readings, I don't choose them, they're arranged. It's called lectionary. Every Sunday has designated readings. Today we heard a somewhat longer reading from the book of Joshua. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, the, 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 uh, the book of Joshua basically tells the story of the people of Israel who've been, um, they're a nation, they're, um, that God has revealed himself to them. They've been chosen to have this beautiful, uh, beautiful future after 400 years of slavery. He brings them out of uh, slavery in Egypt and they're entering this new land. I'm like, all right, this is your new home. And so the book of Joshua kind of tells you that story, how that goes about. Um, and so the chapter that we heard today is uh, Joshua was Moses, the main leader, then he dies. Joshua becomes the next leader. And then now he's basically about to die. So he's giving his last sort of sermon, his last talk to the people. And he says to them, it's a long portion, but I think the salient insight, he, he challenges the people. He says to them, choose you now who you will serve. Will you serve? He's like, for me and my family, we're going to serve God, the God who saved us. But you must choose who you're going to follow. And of course, in that narrative, the other elders, the other leaders around him, they're all saying, yes, of course, we're also going to follow the, the God who saved us from Egypt. And it's a, it seems to be like it's a joyous occasion. Joshua's saying, yes, you should follow the God who saved you. The people are like, hooray, you also follow that God. But of course, the whole story of the people of Israel is that almost immediately, they, once Joshua dies, they uh, abandon the God who saved them, and they sort of uh, syncretism happens, and their faith becomes enmeshed with the faith of their neighbors. So that practically, you can't discern who's following God, who's not, and it leads to the destruction of the nation. That's the spoiler. That's the whole story. You read it. That's what happens. So when you read this part again, you're like, wow. Oh, well, I mean, they said they were going to follow, but that disappeared, like, immediately. And it's important for us, that's kind of the, the point of today's sermon. If you don't think anything else, that's kind of the, the point, is that question, is the question we should all be asking ourselves. Choose ye now who you will serve. And in a sense, the sermon is for Christians. Usually we have, you know, folks who don't identify as Christians here. Of course, you're welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom and insight to be gained by listening to Jesus, by listening to the Bible. But I guess what I'm sharing today, I'm, I'm actually sharing for those who like identify as Christians, who are wanting in some measure to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm kind of going to talk to you right now. All right, Christians, um, you have to ask yourself. You have to choose today who you're going to serve. It's a choice that you make every day of your life. It's a necessary choice. Um, in other words, put it negatively, uh, there's no sense in having an honest spirituality, an honest faith, uh, and just sort of sitting back, not considering what you believe, not thinking it through, and not asking yourself, given that Jesus is real, I believe that, that he's resurrected in the grave, that he's made us a church, how does that, uh, what are the implications for my life, what I believe, how do I negotiate myself in this world, right? How, what, how does it come to bear my politics, my ethics? how I treat my neighbor, how I love my loved ones, right? In other words, you, you choose to follow, you have to think it through, right? There is no such thing as 
having a faith or spirituality, but then not doing anything about it. You're sort of thinking, well, I'm in neutral. Yeah, maybe I'm not growing. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm not losing it. No, if you're not actively pursuing growing in faith, you're losing it. There is no neutral. You're either growing or, you're, or it's dying. Right? That's what Joshua is telling people. Choose you now what you're going to do. What's going to uh, dictate and motivate your life? Because if you don't choose, and that be an active choice every day of your life, it's going to disappear. He told them that. And they're like, well, yeah, of course. And then promptly just put it in neutral, didn't engage, and they lost their faith. In other words, there's a sense in which the Christian life is one that is it, it's deliberate. You consider what you believe and you seek to live it out, right? You can't just accept it. That's very critical to understand that. And this is, um, this might sound very, I don't know how this sounds actually, because it might sound very idiosyncratic, like, oh, this is a very Christian thing to put out there. Live out your faith. But this is just a basic fact, I think, of being human. Um, man, I was rereading a classic. Um, you may have read it too, Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. He put it out in 1984. Awesome uh, essay. He's very evaluating. Um, I think he basically he's sort of uh, talking, he's using the Iran-Contra scandal. I don't know if you would remember that or know about that. Uh, this is a, a time in the, in, in the 80s where the American government tried to sell uh, weapons to Iran. They were on a weapons embargo. And they tried to use the proceeds from that sale to then fund uh, radical white ring um, rebels, I guess, in Nicaragua. Because if anything the American can do well, it's upset elected democracies and install American-friendly dictatorships. Um, and that reality is uh, yeah, the story of my people and, of course, affords us the comfortable life that we share here in the West. So it's important to know that kind of history. So here he is, Chomsky's uh, writing uh, his article on manufacturing consent and saying, he says this part of it. He talks about how um, he's contrasting, uh, I guess, American life uh, compared to, let's say, the Soviet Union. And say, well, in the Soviet Union, they have a measure of control and they use physical control so that if you don't say what you're supposed to say or believe what you're supposed to believe, uh, you will be physically harmed, tortured, probably thrown in the gulags. You're going to suffer physically. And that is a form, it can be effective form of control. But he says, actually, what's a more insidious and what's showing to be more effective system of control is actually to... Um, have people not engage, not think through their lives, just not think, just put information in the ether and have them sort of slot themselves into the messaging that you want, right? And he says, when the enemies do that, we call that propaganda, but when we do it here, we call it education, right? We call it being informed. And he says, in that, in that way, we manufacture consent. By the time you think you're making a choice, you've actually uncritically absorbed the spirit of the age. You've uncritically absorbed the modes of thought that have been pumped up for you. And then that's who you become by the time you think, oh, I'm choosing this political decision. Actually, likely that decision has already been made for you. You just haven't been engaging, so you've been shaped to accept it. That's Noam Chomsky. I'm not sure if you find it persuasive, but I think it's actually very interesting. Because that has not only relevance for how we live, negotiate lives politically, it actually has incredible spiritual insight. Right? Because to, to say you're a Christian, it means that you're going to follow Jesus. 
right? That's what it means. At some level, I have to take Jesus seriously and see how does what he's saying apply to me. And then we live in a world, right, that used to be, um, I don't know, superficially Christian, right? Christian was a dumb thing. Everyone kind of grew up going to church. Now it's not so much. That's kind of decaying. And the, and then the culture we live in is at best uh, indifferent to Christianity, but more likely, it's, I think, it's hostile and critical, right? So if you're a Christian you, and you live in this world, we all live in this world, if you're not engaging your mind, if you're not challenging your heart, you're just like, well, I'm just, I want to be kind. Oh, there is the rules. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if then you lost your faith. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if I lost it. Right? Because manufacturing consent, the consent for you to let go of your faith is happening around you and you're being shaped by that. And that's why Joshua tells people, choose now who you're going to serve. And in other words, think about it. Right? And notably, a greater Joshua says something like that. That happened in 13 BC. You know, thousands of years later, another Joshua comes up. We call him Jesus. It's more of a, maybe a Hellenized type of word. His name is Joshua. And he gives a story of the ten virgins. And the minute, I think the main insight there is probably you have to be prepared. Right? There, there are these ten virgins waiting for the groom. And I think the important thing to notice is that up until the moment when the groom shows up, the ten virgins, they look identical to each other. I mean, you couldn't tell the difference. There's just 10 people waiting for the groom. Notably, when it gets dark outside and when it crucially matters, when the groom shows up, then it's shown who has a light and who doesn't. Right? In other words, for all of us, I mean, we all show up to church now and again, we sing the songs, we do readings. You know, maybe you have a prayer life at home and you spend some time, you know, a couple minutes of prayer, maybe peruse the Bible. You say to yourself, I'm a Christian. Yeah, sure. The test of that is when the darkness comes. The test of that is when things are hard. And now our hearts are revealed, right? Who am I really? What is it that I believe? My dad dies. Right? My wife leaves me. My child is sick. I'm not sure they're going to get better. My friends, politics, now we don't align. And I was experiencing severe tension in my deepest relationships. Right? Then you ask yourself, well, am I one of the people waiting for Jesus with the, with the oil or not? Am I prepared? Am I, am I choosing my faith? Am I living with wanting to hold it with integrity? Which means asking difficult questions and honestly seeking for the answers. And then choosing to follow the answers with everything they need. Right? Faith is, I've heard it before, even from people that I love. Oh, Christians seek easy answers. They just want to glide through life. No, being a Christian is hard. You have to become a reader first or informed. It's a hard thing to be honest with your faith. You know, it's notable because uh, when it comes to the story, uh, a feedback that I've had enough, because you, you say the story so often in church, and the feedback that challenge people put up sometimes is like, wasn't it just not fair that those uh, five um, versions didn't have oil? Like the ones that did have oil didn't share with the ones who didn't have oil? That's, that seems unfair. Why didn't they share oil with each other? 
Well, I mean, he kind of just gives the answer. If they had shared the oil, then none of them would have had light when the groom shows up. But for me, I've noticed that often the folks who struggle with the non-sharing part, the people that are really, uh, the, the sharing, the, the notion of sharing is also the, the that's the kind of sh- reveals our card spiritually. Though. What they think spirituality often is, is us sharing with each other. Let's just be nice with each other. Let's be kind. Sharing. That's the point. And if everyone's sharing and no one has oil, there's no light. And when Jesus shows up, no one can see him. No one recognizes him. In other words, our sharing, our kindness, everything we do as Christians has to be anchored by a, a preparedness to receive Jesus in our lives as Jesus shows up. Because that's the, the essence of our faith. And when we think about that, now here I'll be honest, because I'm saying this to y'all, and be uncomfortable. All right. It's uncomfortable to feel, for me to believe, because then I look at my own life and I say, well, um, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm thinking it through, but when I think through all the things that it means to follow Jesus, I often fall short, right? I do way more bad things than I, I do good things. I'm way more impatient with my wife when she's uh, patient. I can be really uh, not considerate my children, instead of giving them space and, and being more gentle, or whatever you know, you, you look at your life and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I fall short. Right? It's easy to preach it out here, but like anyone else, to live it, that's the challenge. And if that's what it was ultimately, well, then book up, set, try to be like Jesus, then that would be a hopeless. And why am I saying this? I'm just feeling the burdens. But for me, the encouragement, I hope this is encouraging you to you too, because we have to end there. Is that yes, we have to choose, we have to think, it is work. We have to do self-analysis and be honest about ourselves and account for ourselves for the actions. And I say to myself, you know, yeah, I mess up. But actually, what I'm, what I'm worried about is the good things that I do are laced with self-serving attitudes and motivations, right? We have the Food and Friends program. You feed 150 people average every Monday. And then what do I do? I go home and I'm like, man, you're such a good Christian. And you cry and go to right? Almost all my actions, I'm honest, I've been sort of discerned of racism, selfishness, or self-aggrandizement. Of pride. I can't untangle the good that I want to do or some of the good that I do with the things that taint it. It's hard. Right? An easy, an easy solution there is to say, ah, we're good and better relative anyways, who cares? The problem is that's a lie. But we do that functionally as a culture. I think the better approach, what Jesus offers us, is to say, yeah, Jesus says to us, you do have mixed motivations. You could never approach me on your own. That's the whole point. That's what I came for you. I'm God come to you. Yeah, you couldn't reach me on your own. I'm coming to you. And here's the truth. Jesus sees my life. He sees me all the way down. All the things that I, uh, I would only maybe tell my counselor. The things that I might not even tell my wife. The things that I try to hide from myself. I can't look at myself in the mirror. All those things that I try to hide. Uh, Jesus sees that all the way down. He sees that. And he loves me. He loves you, and he loves you too. He sees you too, and he loves you too. And that love, honest love, is what empowers a Christian to be honest with who they are. Say, yeah, Jesus, I I mess up. Um, I doubt you. I doubt what your word says. I'm not even sure what it means to be a Christian. Um, I try, and I seem to mess it up more often than not. I'm not sure how to do this. But thank you that you love me, and that gives me the ability to be honest with you, and to be honest, hopefully, with my family and friends. It's a release. It's free. It's, it's healing. 
It's important to be honest that way. In fact, we try to do it every Sunday because uh, in a moment we're going to go to the Lord's table. We're going to go to Holy Communion. And that's uh, Jesus literally feeding us his uh, mercy, his grace. And as a church, we come together and we have the elements. And what we try to do, hopefully it's not just a mere ritual that we're unthinking, that you're actually also processing your own life in that moment. We all bring our lives when we walk into those doors. And to say, um, God, this is my life, which is this. It's uh, victories, many defeats, complicated things to hold my own life, and you see it all. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you invite me to your table to eat. Your love is more than I can understand, and I'm so grateful for you. And that, that'll heal you. It's good, it's true. So I hope that you can approach, not only today, but every day of your life, you can approach God that way. Because he's right here. You're never alone. So, then let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings. God, I, I want to thank you. Um, every time I pray, I thank you that as often as we forget you, you do not forget us. You're always right there, um, willing to embrace us, wanting to embrace us. If you just show a little bit of interest, a little bit of desire for, to trust you, to know what, to what it means to follow you, you're right there. We're not alone. Thank you for that, God. Help us to... Um, Sense your voice, your presence of love. If there's anything in our lives that's blocking that, I pray that you remove that. Help us to connect with you, our creator, our friend. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.